Good afternoon, Tri-States. You are listening to IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading and Information Service for the Blind and Print Handicap. This is Ken sitting down here in Balmy, Missouri. I hope it's nice up by all of you in the Dubuque land area. But I'm down here reading from the Friday, February 9th edition of the Dubuque Telegraph Herald. And brought to you in part by Dupaco and the R.W. Hafer Foundation. Now we'll begin right with the piece at the top of our fold. Witnesses. Suspect admitted crime. From Makokoda. A Jackson County, Iowa man accused of killing his wife acknowledged shooting her less than 24 hours after her death, according to testimony provided Thursday at his ongoing murder trial. Christopher E. Pritchard, 58, of Bellevue, is charged in Iowa District Court of Jackson County with first-degree murder and first-degree robbery in the fatal shooting of his estranged wife, Angela Pritchard, 55. He has pleaded not guilty. Authorities found Angela Pritchard dead from an apparent gunshot wound on the morning of October 8, 2022 at Mississippi Ridge Boarding Kennels, the business she operated near Bellevue. The two were separated at the time of her death. Jeff Junk of rural Bellevue testified Thursday that Christopher Pritchard showed up at his house around 8.30 p.m. October 8th, 2022. The two were longtime friends, although they hadn't seen each other in roughly six months before that evening. Yunk testified that Christopher Pritchard was carrying a shotgun when he arrived at the home, although he gave the weapon to Yunk when asked. Yunk also said he'd been told previously that day that Angela Pritchard had been shot. I said, why did you shoot your wife? And Chris said, I just shot her in the arm, Young testified. Then I said, well, I think she's dead. And he said something to the effect of, if she is, I guess I'm going to jail for a long time. Kim Klein also was at the residence that evening and said she heard Christopher Pritchard say he had shot Angela Pritchard in the shoulder. She testified that he did not say if the incident was an accident, but said Christopher Pritchard did not seem apologetic or distressed about the incident. Under cross-examination, both Yunk and Klein said they had consumed alcohol prior to Christopher Pritchard's arrival at their shared home. Neither believed that consumption had affected their recollection of the evening, however. Yunk testified he and Christopher Pritchard drank together and talked for two or three hours before Pritchard fell asleep. Yunk then notified law enforcement of Pritchard's presence, and Pritchard was taken into custody by Nathan Van Briesen and Peter Streets. At the time of the incident, both were members of the Iowa State Patrol tactical team. They waited with Christopher Pritchard at the residence until he could be transported to a patrol vehicle. Both testified that during that time, Pritchard repeatedly said officers should just kill him now. 
I would say he said something like that three times, Streets said, twice in the house and one out by the vehicle. Clifford Weinshek then testified that after news of Angela Pritchard's death had spread, he checked his hunting cabin in rural Bellevue and realized his shotgun was missing. Weinshank knew Christopher Pritchard and said Pritchard knew the weapon's location. Also Thursday, Lori and Michael Blazer testified that a truck affiliated with Christopher Pritchard was found parked in a barn on their Jackson County property early October 7, 2022. Their residence is approximately a mile and a half from the kennels. Christopher Pritchard previously had done some electrical work for the couple and knew the basic layout of property, the couple said. Home security footage played at the trial showed Christopher Pritchard arriving at the Blazer property around 6.30 or 7 a.m. October 7th, but did not capture him leaving. The truck he drove was still there on the morning of October 8th, the couple stated. Lori Blazer also said it appeared that on October 8th, someone had slept in the sleeping quarters of the couple's trailer located in the same barn as the pickup. It was not the way we left it, she said. I'd made the bed the weekend prior, but it was obviously completely unmade and somebody had used the restroom and because we'd previously drained all the water, they were unable to flush. Jackson County Sheriff Chief Deputy Jim Craker testified about responding to the Blazers' residence once the couple alerted law enforcement to the truck's presence. He cleared the area of any suspects before returning to other duties. On cross-examination, Christopher Pritchard's attorney, Leanne Stragel, asked Craker when Pritchard was identified as a person of interest in the case. He responded that by the time he arrived at the kennels around 8.11 a.m. October 8, 2022, law enforcement had identified Pritchard as a potential suspect. The initial 911 call about the incident came in at around 7.40 a.m. that morning. There was no suspect on scene, but by 8.11 a.m. you'd already determined that Christopher Pritchard was your prime suspect, Striegel asked, and you had no other identified suspects you were looking for? Craker agreed that Christopher Pritchard was quickly identified as a potential suspect, adding that the determination was due in part to the fact that there was a protective order banning Pritchard from contacting his wife in any way based on his previous conduct. Court concluded Thursday around 4.30 p.m. The trial will resume today at 9 a.m. at the Jackson County Courthouse. Live updates will be posted online at twitter.com slash telegraph herald. Our second piece from the front page, City Council Mulls Housing Inspection Backlog. Dubuque landlords will be subject to increased rental license and inspection fees this year after the City Council approved raising rates to keep up with the costs of running the city's housing department. 
In a 6-1 vote Monday evening, Dubuque City Council members voted to raise the fees after the city's Housing and Community Development Department reported fees have not kept up with increased salaries, equipment, and training costs. Dubuque requires its rental housing budget to be 90% supported by the rental license and inspection fees and 10% from the city's general fund. We're seeing that about halfway through our fiscal year, our fiscal year runs from July 1 to June 30, that the amount of fees are not covering 90% of the cost, Dubuque City Manager Mike Van Milligan said at the meeting. Fee prices depend on the type of rental. A structure license fee will increase from $25 to $45, a dwelling license fee from $30 to $45, and a rooming unit license fee from $20 to $30. Initial inspections will remain free, which has been the case for years. However, the price for a reinspection will increase from $85 to $100, and a reinspection using photos will increase from $0 to $25. City Housing and Community Development Director Alexis Steger said by keeping the first inspection free, it incentivizes landlords to try to pass on the first inspection instead of having inspectors come to their unit multiple times. As more landlords take advantage of the free first inspection, it allows inspectors to work more efficiently. Staker said the city currently operates on a five-year routine inspection cycle, but has reduced that to about 4.5 years and plans to reach a four-year cycle within the next few months. Also, the city utilizes a tiered inspection system and priority landlord designation, which means many inspections are completed before the five-year cycle is up. Dubuque's five-year cycle is one of the longest in the state. Most cities, comparable in size to Dubuque, average a three-year cycle, according to city documents. Steger said work is ongoing to shrink the city's inspection timeline further. We don't want to promise a three-year cycle with just the personnel we have, but we do think we can get there, Steger said at the meeting. Iowa Citizens for Community Improvement, a nonprofit focused on community organizing, has pushed the city to hire two more housing inspectors to help. I think it's worth noting that while the housing department believes that they could potentially reach a three-year routine rental inspection cycle, they weren't able to make a hard promise or commitment that they would be able to do so within the next year with current staffing said Jamie Izagura, community organizer for Iowa Citizens for Community Improvement. Staker said once the city implements a three-year cycle, that additional employee would likely no longer be needed. Council member Katie Wethel was the sole opposing vote Monday night because the council could not agree to mandate that the housing department try to achieve a three-year cycle. Wethel said for the landlords on the priority list, meaning they have had at least three municipal infractions in the last year, 80% to 90% of those properties fall inside a low to moderate income census tract.
She worries complaints might go unfiled if tenants fear retaliation from landlords. If we can shorten that cycle, we can be taking action instead of waiting for people to have to fear for their housing security in reporting those infractions, Wethel said. Council member Danny Sprank told the Telegraph Herald that Dubuque needs to shorten the inspection cycle, but he added setting a potentially unattainable goal for housing staff isn't the answer. Making a department overstretch its limitation I'm not in favor of that at this time, he said. During the meeting, Mayor Brad Kavanaugh cautioned the council against taking up the issue of inspection cycle timelines as it was not an agenda item. Only the fee rates were in question. In an interview with the TH, Kavanaugh said the decision to raise the fees was generally cut and dried, adding the department recognized fees weren't keeping up with costs and developed a new structure that would meet its needs. In terms of shortening the inspection cycle, Kavanaugh said he would like more data relating to those inspections and about which properties should be inspected more frequently. I think there's a lot of questions. This idea of automatically jumping to adding two new inspectors is one that I think we have some more details to learn about first, he said. Our final front page piece has three pictures with it. The caption of the piece is Super Bowl, Iowa Ties, Superstar on the Fly. And the first large picture shows uh, Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift embracing as they walk off the field. And the caption beneath it reads, The romance between Kansas City Chiefs tight end Travis Kelsey and music superstar Taylor Swift has been one of the major subplots of the NFL season. Swift is expected to perform in Japan and then fly to Las Vegas just in time for Sunday's Super Bowl. And then we have two other smaller inset pictures. The first one, we have George Kittle, and I'm going to presume his wife. The caption for that reads, San Francisco 49ers tight end George Kittle celebrates with his wife, Claire, after the win against the Detroit Lions in the NFC Championship game on Sunday, January 28th. She is former Dubuque Wallert and Iowa basketball star Claire Till. And our third picture, we, we have Brock Purdy holding up a championship trophy, and that caption is, San Francisco 49ers quarterback and former Iowa State star Brock Purdy hoists the NFC championship trophy. Now we read our piece. A place nicknamed Sin City and once shunned by the National Football League for its gambling culture will be under the spotlight as Las Vegas hosts its first Super Bowl on Sunday, February 11th. The San Francisco 49ers will face the Kansas City Chiefs at Allegiant Stadium in a game featuring one quarterback seeking his third Super Bowl victory and another quarterback with an Iowa tie seeking to overcome doubters who say his low draft position indicates he is overrated. Likely cheering from a luxury suite above the field will be a pop superstar who recently claimed a record-breaking fourth album of the year at the Grammy Awards. 
More than 200 million U.S. adults plan to watch the Super Bowl, according to a survey by the National Retail Federation. Last year's Super Bowl averaged 115.1 million viewers, making it the most watched television program in U.S. history. As many, if not more, viewers are expected to watch Sunday's Super Bowl. Here is a guide to how, when, and what to watch on Super Bowl Sunday. The 2024 Super Bowl will air beginning at 5.30 p.m. Sunday. The primary broadcast of the game will air on CBS with streaming available on the Paramount Plus platform, according to a press release. Sunday's game will be the 22nd Super Bowl aired by CBS, the most by any network. Jim Nance and Tony Romo will call the game with Tracy Wolfson. CBS plans to employ 165 cameras for the presentation of the game, including six doink cameras embedded in the uprights for unique angles of field goals and extra point attempts. An alternate broadcast will appear on Nickelodeon. This kid-friendly, slime-infused broadcast will include virtual reality graphics and will incorporate characters from SpongeBob SquarePants. The release states that an animated SpongeBob SquarePants voiced by Tom Kenny and Patrick Starr voiced by Bill Fagerbake will join CBS sports analyst Nate Burleson and play-by-play announcer Noah Eagle live in the booth to call the game on Nickelodeon. The San Francisco 49ers, 14-5, meet the Kansas City Chiefs, 14-6, in Sunday's Super Bowl. The two teams also faced each other in the 2020 Super Bowl when the Chiefs defeated the 49ers 31-20. Two stars on the 49ers are products of rival Iowa College. Quarterback Brock Purdy played college football for the Iowa State Cyclones and was selected by San Francisco with the final pick of the 2022 NFL Draft a lowly draft position that earns the selected player the nickname Mr. Irrelevant. San Francisco tight end George Kittle played for the Iowa Hawkeyes and was selected by the 49ers in the fifth round of the 2017 NFL Draft. Kittle's wife, the former Claire Till, starred in basketball at Dubuque Wallert and played for the Iowa Hawkeyes. The two met as student-athletes in Iowa City. Purdy is only the fourth quarterback with four playoff wins in his first two seasons. Kittle caught 65 passes for 1,020 yards in 2023, the most among the league's tight ends. Kansas City also boasts stars at the quarterback and tight end position. Quarterback Patrick Mahomes of the Chiefs is 14-3 in 17 starts in the NFL playoffs and can join league luminaries Tom Brady and Joe Montana with 15 or more career playoff wins if he is victorious in Sunday's Super Bowl. 
Kansas City tight end Travis Kelsey has caught touchdown passes in eight of the past nine playoff games he has played. He also has a high-profile girlfriend. Pop superstar Taylor Swift's romance with Kelsey became a major storyline during the NFL season, with television networks including shots of Swift cheering her bow during game broadcasts. Swift is expected to attend Sunday's Super Bowl, flying to Las Vegas following a scheduled performance Saturday in Japan. Many viewers who tune into the Super Bowl pay as much attention, if not more, to the commercial breaks than the action on the field. CBS reports that a 30-second spot airing on Sunday's Super Bowl broadcast cost $7 million. Here are seven of the commercials generating the most pre-game buzz. The Bud Light Genie grants a variety of wishes to beer drinkers in a humorous commercial featuring cameos by former NFL quarterback Peyton Manning and musician Post Malone. Budweiser's iconic Clydesdale horses pitch in to deliver beer after a snowstorm closes roads. Two older women named Dina and Mita chase after the last bag of Doritos Dinamita, spicy rolled tortilla chips taken from a grocery store. Two E.T. trade babies take on adults in a sport one of the babies describes as basically tennis for babies but for adults. Soccer star Lionel Messi shows off his skills on a beach in a commercial that features cameos by Ted Lasso actor Jason Sudeikis and former NFL quarterback Dan Marino. Parks and Rec actress Aubrey Plaza enjoys a Mountain Dew Baha'i Blast drink in unpleasant situations, including while being abducted by aliens and stuck in an elevator. A viral image of Plaza's Park and Rec co-star Chris Pratt resembling the Pringles logo leads to the role of a lifetime. What are the most likely menu items for the big game? Americans are expected to spend a record $17.3 billion, $86.04, per person on food for Sunday's Super Bowl, according to the National Retail Federation. Studies commissioned by the Trade Association, SNAC, Snack International, formerly the Snack Food Association, report that 36 million pounds of tortilla chips were sold before Super Bowl 2023, followed by 32 million pounds of potato chips. The data reveals that Americans consume about 118 million pounds of savory snacks during week of the Super Bowl. Make a wager on Sunday's Super Bowl, you won't be alone. The American Gaming Association estimates that a record 68 million Americans plan to bet on the game. Now we turn to our opinion page and our view. The Friday quick takes that represent the editorial board's consensus of what is 
interesting to read. Well, we have three smiley faces, so three thumbs up from them. First one, almost home expansion helps fill shelter void. For years, there was a glaring void in Dubuque's safety net to support people in need of shelter. While the Dubuque Rescue Mission provided a place for homeless men to take rest and opening doors gave shelter to single women and women with children, there was no place for a man with children to find help. All that changed in the fall of 2021 when Almost Home announced plans to transition from serving single homeless men to addressing this unmet need in Dubuque. Homeless fathers with children. Almost Home operates the guest house to serve homeless men and their children, as well as open closet, free clothing resource at St. John's Evangelical Lutheran Church in Dubuque. After undergoing extensive renovations, the guest house has reopened and now has space for five families where it once housed just two. On the second floor, three bedroom spaces with two sets of bunk beds each flank communal kitchen and bathroom spaces. There are two bedrooms on the third floor with their own shared kitchen and restroom facilities. Laundry facilities also are available. Multiple bedrooms have a separate room attached where girls, especially teenagers, can gain more privacy and have their own space. Families can stay for up to three months and receive wraparound case management services during their stay. Almost Home long has served a need in Dubuque. It's great to see the guest house expanded to provide services to even more families in our second smiley face. A big shout out to the local volunteers who take on tasks other people struggle to do. Two such things come to mind this time of year, snow shoveling and taxes. Luckily, around here, we've got volunteers to help with both. In the tri-state area, Internal Revenue Services Volunteer Income Tax Assistance Program, or VITA, and ARPS Tax Aid Program utilize volunteers who file taxes for area residents, specifically low to moderate income individuals, residents with disabilities, and those who speak limited English. As many as 1,000 area residents have utilized the service annually in the past few years. Powered by volunteers, the service provides a vital resource for families already struggling to pay basic bills and utilities. For information on tax services, call 563-556-5130. That was 563-556-5130. Likewise, a corps of volunteer shovelers have made winter a little easier in Dubuque for those struggling to manage. Sure, Mother Nature has been kind this week, but remember, a few weeks ago, when we got two feet of snow in a week, it was DBQ Shovel Crew to the rescue. This City of Dubuque program pairs residents who are physically or financially unable to shovel their sidewalks with volunteers willing to do the job. And the second week of January, these volunteers got quite the workout. Those interested in volunteering with DBQ Shovel Crew or who need help clearing their sidewalk and driveway can call 
563-589-4159. Again, 563-589-4159. Our third and final smiley face, a soup bowl toast to Convivium Urban Farmstead and Leslie Shalabi for yet another cool event that seeks to combat local hunger. About 150 people turned out for the Super Bowl Sunday held at the Dubuque organization. Attendees selected a handmade ceramic bowl created and donated by area artists, then filled those bowls with soup donated by local restaurants. Participants got to keep their bowl. Then Convivium split the proceeds with Riverbend Food Bank. As many as 7,100 people are considered food insecure in Dubuque County. And Convivium's mission has been to improve life through food and help feed the community. A tip of the hat to another event well done. You are listening to IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading and Information Service for the Blind and Print Handicapped. This is Ken, and I am reading from the Friday, February 9th edition of the Dubuque Telegraph Herald. We now turn to today's obituaries. Irene J. Streif, Lancaster, Wisconsin. Irene J. Streif, age 92, of Lancaster, passed away Friday, February 2nd at Grant Regional Health Center in Lancaster, She was born on September 26, 1931, in Balltown, Iowa, the daughter of Clarence and Elizabeth Pothoff Bliley. Irene attended Balltown Catholic School. On September 16, 1950, she was united in marriage to Harold Streif. He served in the United States Army during the Korean conflict, and Irene farmed with her mother and father-in-law in Farley, Upon Harold's honorable discharge, Harold worked at John Deere and Irene worked at the Dubuque Pack as well as Flexsteel, and they both farmed. In 1958, they moved to Lancaster and farmed in Liberty Township until December 1978. Irene then worked for Land's End for 13 years. She was a member of the Jolly Dollies, St. Clement Catholic Church and its church circle, where she volunteered her time for several church events. Irene was also a member of a card club, where they played every Wednesday. She loved playing cards, baking, cooking, and spending time with family. Irene enjoyed hosting family gatherings, and most recently, family gatherings on her new deck. She will be greatly missed by all who knew a massive Christian burial will be held Tuesday, February 13th at 11 a.m. at St. Clement Catholic Church in Lancaster with Father Mark Miller officiating. Burial will be in St. Clement Cemetery, Lancaster. Family and friends may call on Monday, February 12th from 4 p.m. until 7 p.m. at Martin Schwartz Funeral Home and Crematory in Lancaster and on Tuesday from 10 a.m. until time of services at the church. Online condolences may be left at www.martinschwartzfuneralhomes.com. James W. 
DeMuth, Hazel Green. James Jim W. DeMuth, 78, of Hazel Green, died Wednesday, February 7th. Visitation will be held from 1 to 5 p.m. Sunday, February 11th, and from 9 to 10 a.m. Monday, February 12th, at Howden Shield Funeral Home and Cremation Services in Cuba City. A massive Christian burial will take place at 10.30 a.m. Monday at St. Francis de Sales Catholic Church in Hazel Green. Burial will be in the church cemetery. Teresa Merckx, or Merckx, Teresa M. Merckx, 87, of Dubuque, died Wednesday, February 7th, surrounded by family at the Hawkeye Care Center in Dubuque. A prayer service will be held at 4 p.m. Friday, February 9th at Church of the Resurrection, followed by visitation until 8 p.m. The massive Christian burial for Teresa will be 10.30 a.m. Saturday, February 10th at Church of the Resurrection with Monsignor James Miller as the celebrant. Burial will be in Mount Calvary Cemetery in Dubuque. Teresa was born November 1, 1936, in Worthington, Iowa, the daughter of Alfred and Melvina Bonort Offerman. On November 24, 1959, she married Aloysius Al Peter Merckx at St. Francis Basilica in Dyersville. He passed away December 1, 2014. Most of her life, she helped her husband on the farm. After retirement from farming, she worked at Burger King. She was a longtime member of Church of the Resurrection. She was a great baker, and her family loved her apple pie. She was always feeding people, and everyone loved her treats. She loved to play euchre, dancing, taking care of her cats, and spending time with her grandchildren. One day, shortly after Al passed away, a guinea fowl showed up at her home. They formed a special bond and adopted each other. She called him Guinea. A memorial has been established. Hoffman, Schneider, and Kitchen Funeral Home and Crematory is in care of the arrangements. A photo tribute can be viewed and condolences sent to the family by visiting Teresa's obituary at www.hskfhcares.com. Com. Wilfred E. Smithson, Bellevue. Wilfred E. Smithson, 86, of Bellevue, died Tuesday, February 6th. Arrangements are pending. Hockman Meyer Funeral Home and Cremation Service of Bellevue is assisting the family. Dorothy Vorwald, Dyersville. Dorothy C. Vorwald, 100, of Dyersville, passed away Sunday, February 4th, at Mercy One Senior Care in Dyersville. Visitation will be held from 2 to 7 p.m. Sunday, February 11th, at Kramer Funeral Home in Dyersville. Visitation will continue at the funeral home on Monday, February 12th, from 9 to 10 a.m. prior to funeral mass. Funeral services will be held at 10.30 a.m. Monday, February 12th at St. Francis Xavier Basilica in Dyersville with burial in the church cemetery. Reverend Chris Potosky will officiate. Dorothy was born January 17th, 
1924 in Worthington, the daughter of Nicholas and Emma Bronken Dunkel. She married Francis Vorwald on November 5, 1947 in Dyersville. Together they raised their family and farmed between Dyersville and Worthington until retirement in 1991. Kramer Funeral Home in Dyersville is assisting the family and information is available at www.kramerfuneral.com. Memorials may be sent to the family in care of Kramer Funeral Home, 750 12th Avenue Southwest, Dyersville, Iowa, 52040. Donna J. Kinsella. Donna J. Kinsella, 79, of Dubuque, passed away Wednesday, February 7th at Stonehill Care Center. Visitation will be from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. Saturday, February 10th at St. Joseph Catholic Church, Key West, 10204 Key West Drive, Dubuque, where there will be a prayer service at 2 p.m. on Saturday. Internment will be at a later date at Mount Olivet Cemetery, Key West. Arrangements are entrusted to Eaglehoff, Seeger, and Casper Funeral Home and Crematory, 2659 JFK Road, Dubuque. Donna was born September 10, 1944, in Dubuque, the daughter of Norbert and Violet Klein Rowling. She graduated from Dubuque Senior High School in 1962. Donna married Gerald M. Kinsella on September 4, 1965, at St. Catherine's Catholic Church in St. Catherine's. Jerry preceded her in death on August 16, 2023. Donna and Jerry loved to go out dancing, especially at Timmermans. She was a devoted wife, mother, and grandmother, baking chocolate pie, especially for Jerry, and always stocking the grandkids' favorite candy bars in her purse. Donna was very creative and enjoyed home decor, cake decorating, and flower arranging. Halloween was a favorite of Donna's. She loved to dress up and scare the grandkids. Donna also enjoyed golfing with her friends and beating the Irishman at Euchre. Donna's daughters would like to extend a heartfelt thanks to all those who took care of her at the Stonehill Care Center. Philip Rush Davenport. Philip S. Phil Rush, 62 of Davenport, passed away Tuesday, February 6th after a long and courageous battle with cancer. Funeral services will be held at 2 p.m. Monday, February 12th at Rungi Mortuary in Davenport with visitation beginning at 12 p.m. prior to the service. Phil will be laid to rest in Davenport Memorial Park. Online condolences may be left at www. Rungi, R-U-N-G-E, Mortuary.com. Phil was born May 27, 1961, son of Leo L. and Darlene Herring Rush of Holy Cross. He loved cars all his life, beginning with his collection of matchbox cars as a boy. He graduated from Leo High School, graduated from NITI in auto mechanics, and then joined the National Guard in 1979, where he served for 21 years. He worked at Curtis Industries and Huron until 1990, later spending 13 years in hydraulics distribution for Knott Company in the Quad Cities. 
On June 27, 2015, he was united in marriage to Susan McKinney in Clinton. They resided in Davenport until the present, and he worked there until he retired due to ill health. Phil loved music and was a talented guitarist. He was a true and loyal friend, a man with a generous heart who brought smiles to all those he loved. Mark N. Johnson. Mark N. Johnson, 35, of Dubuque, passed away unexpectedly after a hard-fought battle with mental illness Wednesday, February 6th. Visitation will be from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Saturday, February 10th at Leonard Funeral Home and Crematory, 2595 Rockdale Road, where a funeral service will be at 1 p.m. with Pastor Matt Agee officiating. Mark was born March 13, 1988, in Dubuque, to David K. and Deborah S. Every Johnson. He attended Hempstead High School and graduated from Central Alternative School in 2006. Our precious son, Mark, was called home to his Heavenly Father. Mark loved his family and his sweet rescue dog, Zoe. His interests included cars, dogs, and hunting. He was a gifted writer, artist, and loved music. Mark was incredibly smart and had a lot to offer the world. But sadly, he was plagued by serious mental illness. As much as we all wanted him to live a fulfilling life, he just wasn't able to continue on. We would all like to think that love could have saved him, but his pain was unbearable. We know now he resides with our Heavenly Father, and we will be reunited in that glorious paradise. If someone you know is struggling with mental illness and or substance abuse, please reach out to do whatever possible to get better. Please call the Suicide Crisis Hotline at 988. In lieu of flowers, memorials in Mark's name may be sent to NAMI of Dubuque and the Dubuque Humane Society. The family would like to express a thank you to family and friends for their support through the years and especially now during this difficult time. Mark, fly high with the angels. We will love you forever and always. Grace E. MacDonald Preston, Iowa. Grace E. McDonald, 87, of Preston, died Tuesday, February 6th. A celebration of life will be held from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. Saturday, February 10th at Millennium Ballroom in Goose Lake. Law Jones Funeral Home of Preston is assisting the family. Richard R. Reed, Jr., Guttenberg. Richard R. Reed, Jr., 60, of Guttenberg, died Wednesday, February 7th. No services will be held. Leonard Funeral Home, 2595 Rockdale Road, is assisting the family. And we do have some births. I happen to find them on the next page. But here we have several to welcome in. Tuesday, February 6th, Bullock. Saria Bullock of Dubuque a girl at Southwest Health, Platteville. Cohen Smith, Brett Cohen and Caitlin Smith of Guttenberg, a boy at Unity Point Health, Finley Hospital, Dubuque. Wednesday, February 7th, Hackman, Cassandra Hackman of Dyersville, a girl at Finley. Harmon, Corey and Brittany Harmon of Asbury, a boy 
Finley. And Thursday, February 8th, Barton, Tyler, and Becca Barton of Cheryl, a girl at Mercy One Dubuque Medical Center. Welcome all the new ones that we have here. May life be fulfilling for you and surround you with love. Next, we have a piece from the Tri-States from Earlville. But with it, we have first this large picture of a lady. It looks like she's dipping a cookie in something. The title is Home-Based Baker, Not Afraid of a Challenge. And the caption of this picture says, Amy Style of Earlville receives constant orders for cakes and other treats through Indulge, her home-based bakery. She says that she enjoys staying busy and sometimes is up working until four in the morning. Oh my goodness gracious. And here is the piece. Amy Style has been spreading joy through baked goods of all kinds since the 2015 launch of Indulge, her Earlville home-based bakery. There was a cake lady in Edgewood when my kids were little, but she stopped, so I started making birthday cakes for them, Style said. I was making a cake for my niece, and someone in town saw it. They wanted one, and word spread. Indulge recently reached 3,000 Facebook followers, and Style has constant orders for cupcakes, cheesecakes, mini cakes, cake balls, pumpkin bars, wedding cakes, birthday cakes, Thanksgiving pies, cookies, hot cocoa bombs, cookie decorating kits, dog treats, and more. She said there's a growing demand for her creations, even though her family has had enough cake for a lifetime after nine years of living with a confection entrepreneur. Stiles' younger son, Levi, opts for a cookie cake on his birthday each year. I love the chocolate-covered strawberries, too, he said. This year marks the first time since 2018 that Style is at home baking for Valentine's Day. Normally, at this time of year, she's on a warm-weather adventure with her husband and two sons. We've gone on a cruise each year, except during COVID, when we went to Cancun, she said. Style is in her kitchen this month, filling orders for cakes, cupcakes, cookies, and chocolate-covered strawberries, instead of basking in the sun. When I see the recipient's face light up, that's what makes me excited about what I do, said Style, who enjoys staying busy. Sometimes I'm up working until four in the morning. Her husband, Doug, dreams of building his wife a shop on the other side of their garage, but she's content to stay in their kitchen and keep it simple. Style has become a cake sculptor as well. She has made a Yeti cooler groom's cake, a Louis Vuitton purse birthday cake, a giant elephant cake, a big guitar cake, a sheriff's badge cake, and all kinds of birthday anniversary, first communion, retirement, and wedding cakes. There's a learning curve to this, but I'm not afraid of a challenge, she said. I have over 20,000 Facebook photos, and it's easy to see my improvement over the years. The biggest surprise for style has been the rise in popularity of naked cakes. Cakes made without the majority of the typical outer layer of frosting, ordered for bachelor and bachelorette parties. The most challenging cake was the Louis Vuitton purse. A man asked me to make a purse for his girlfriend's birthday. 
I looked at the photo and tried to figure out how I could do it, she said. Style finds her work both stressful and fun. It's hard when people say you decide you pick. That's the hardest part, she said. It's creative and it's never the same thing. The requests are different and that challenges me, Style continued. I partner with several photographers for one-year-old cake smash portrait sessions. I can do edible images too, but I need longer notice to order them. Style participated in the first Earlville market in the park and she plans on continuing to be a vendor at that local event. She might consider the Dyersville downtown market, but she doesn't want to step on anyone's toes. I don't want to be competitive with other bakers. I respect them. I'm too nice, she said, with Doug nodding his head in agreement. Now let's take a look at a number of pieces of news in brief. Dubuque man sentenced to 22 years in prison for multiple sex crimes. A Dubuque man has been sentenced to 22 years in prison for multiple sex crimes. Billy D.W. Dotson, 34, recently received the sentence from Iowa District Court Judge Michael Schubat in Iowa District Court of Dubuque County after a jury found him guilty of third-degree sexual abuse, attempted second-degree burglary, and assault with intent to commit sexual abuse. Court documents state that Dotson sexually assaulted a woman on May 10th at a residence in Asbury and that he displayed a handgun before and during the assault to intimidate the victim. In relation to that incident, Dotson also was charged with going armed with intent, assault while participating in a felony, assault while displaying a dangerous weapon, use of dangerous weapon in the commission of a crime, control of a firearm by a felon, control of a firearm by a domestic abuse offender, eluding and possession, eluding and possession of marijuana. Those charges were dismissed. Dotson also pleaded guilty to one count of lascivious acts with a child by solicitation in a second case. As part of a plea deal in that case, charges of second-degree sexual abuse, enticing a minor under the age of 13, and a second lascivious acts charge were dismissed. Police. Second person arrested after three Dubuque children ate marijuana gummies. Police said a second person was arrested in relation to a case in which young children became sick after ingesting marijuana gummies. Nathan W. Hemming, 22, of 2670 Anamosa Drive, was arrested at 6.20 a.m. Wednesday at Dubuque Law Enforcement Center on a warrant charging three counts of child endangerment. Court documents state that Hemming is the father of two of the children and told police the marijuana gummies belonged to him. On Sunday, Caitlin A. M. Brennan, 22, of the same address, also was arrested on a warrant charging three counts of child endangerment. Brennan is the mother of the children, aged 1, 2, and 3, who found a package of marijuana gummies in Brennan's bedroom and ingested them in December. All three children exhibited symptoms of marijuana intoxication, documents state, and two suffered seizures. Two of the children were treated at Mercy One Dubuque Medical Center. The other child was treated at Unity Point Health Finley Hospital. Dyersville eyes applicants for pool positions. Dyersville seeks applicants for seasonal positions for the 2024 pool season. Positions available at Dyersville Family Aquatic Center include head lifeguard, lifeguards, assistant managers, and facility assistants, concessions cashiers. 
Lifeguard must be at least 15 years old and facility assistance must be at least 14 to apply. Reimbursement is offered for lifeguard safety training costs. Completed applications are due by March 8th to Dyersville City Hall, 340 1st Avenue East in Dyersville. Dubuque sets February 8th temperature record. The Dubuque temperature recorded by the National Weather Service on Thursday afternoon set a new high mark for February 8th. A high temperature of 60 degrees was documented at 2.57 p.m. Thursday. Previous high temperature for that date was 55, set in 1925. Dubuque's normal high temperature for February 8th is 29. Ooh, you had a warm one up there, folks. Police. Driver sighted after vehicle struck injured pedestrian in Dubuque. Police said a pedestrian was struck by a vehicle and injured in Dubuque. Dakota D. Kirkpatrick, 23, of Dubuque, was transported by private vehicle to Unity Point Health Finley Hospital for treatment of his injuries, according to Dubuque Police. Police said Kirkpatrick was crossing White Street from east to west on the south side of 9th Street at 11.36 a.m. January 31st when a vehicle driven by Dean R. Sekflo, 54, of Dubuque, struck Kirkpatrick in the crosswalk. Authorities said both Safeco and Kirkpatrick left the scene immediately after the collision. Safeco was cited with failure to yield to a pedestrian's right-of-way, no valid license, and failure to provide proof of financial liability. Next, I'll read a little bit of a piece on Dubuque, or rather East Dubuque lots to house music venue event center. Two vacant lots in East Dubuque that once were intended to house new fire and police stations now are slated to operate as an event center and live music venue. The East Dubuque City Council on Monday approved a plan to sell the lots at 90 Cincinnati Avenue to Mike Meyer for $125,000, along with the parcel at 166 Cincinnati to John Onizorg of Johnny O Properties, LLC, for $63,000. The city had planned for several years to build police and fire stations on those lots, and they were supposed to be funded through federal loans, but all of that fell through, and the loan applications were not submitted by December when officials shared that the projects had been nixed. Also, just a little bit of this piece from the uh, Dubuque County. Dubuque County settles $10,000 bill with Humane Society. This money was owed to the Humane Society after dogs whose owner had been arrested accumulated months of boarding and medical bills. The bill had been outstanding since September as officials sought answers to its irregular nature. The county contracts with Dubuque Regional Humane Society to handle animals on behalf of the Dubuque County Sheriff's Department in accordance with a state law that names animal control in unincorporated areas as essential service of county government. However, confusion and hesitance around paying the $10,000 bill led to the county letting it lapse and it all dragged out. And the rest of the article goes in greater detail, but it has been paid. That's good. More food for the cats and dogs, maybe. Finally, just enough time for the weekend buzz. The noteworthy things to do this weekend in the tri-states. Illuminate the night hike today, Swiss Valley. 
5.30 to 7 p.m., self-led hike will cover an illuminated 1.5-mile loop through the preserve. Attendees must be prepared for hilly trails. Well-behaved dogs on leashes are welcome. Mission is free. Registration is required, though. tinyurl.com forward slash NV night hike. The Cab Calloway Orchestra. That's an old one, boy. Today, John and Alice Butler Hall Heritage Center, 7.30. Legendary big band leader Cab Calloway's grandson, Calloway Brooks, continues his family's legacy of high-quality jazz performance. Tickets purchased for the Stan Kenton Legacy Orchestra will be honored for this show. Admission is $30 to $45 per person. For tickets and information, call 563-585-7469. St. Mark Ice Golf Classic, Saturday, Midtown Marina, 285 5th Street in East Dubuque. 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. with a 10 a.m. tee-off. Even though it will take place on solid ground because of a lack of ice, this year's 18-hole course will continue to be as much a surprise to spectators as it will be for the costumed competitors. <laughs> ¶¶ 